James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. We've had a little bit of break from the book of James, but we're going to get right back in where we stopped. I believe we left off in verse number 19 of chapter 1, 19 and 20. So we're going to start this morning in uh, verse 21. So James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Heavenly Father, Lord, bless this, this passage of Scripture now. Uh, help us as we, uh, as we make some comments on it. I pray, Father, you'd be our speaker today. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, help me today to uh, say the things you once said and not say anything I ought not. I pray today, Father, that the Holy Spirit would work. And I pray you'd teach us today about active hearing. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage may well be the theme, may be the central thought in all of the book of James as we, as we approach it here today. He's uh, clearly talking about the concept that we've chosen for our title for this series. If you remember, the title for the series is Faith Works. Faith Works. Real faith, real Christianity is active. It's not passive. It's not hearing without doing, but rather it is a faith, a hearing that results in a life of doing. And he states that very clearly in our text verse. Our text is verse number 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, in an earlier sermon, I think I mentioned the fact that uh, James is not a deeply doctrinal book. It's very practical. He gives us a lot of instruction, a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands, uh, but not a lot of doctrine. But I have to kind of recant on that a little bit here because in this particular passage, he really gives us some very good doctrinal truth. He goes beyond just a cursory statement of his theme. He goes deeply into it. He explains every step of the process. He not only tells us that we are to have a faith that works, but also how such a faith comes to be. Notice in verse number 21, he says that it starts by turning to him, or, or turning from sin, I mean, repenting from sin. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. He says also in verse 21 that it then requires receiving the word of God and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And then in verse 22, he says it is proven by a life of obedience, by being a doer, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So let's look at those three things this morning. First of all, we need to be turning from sin. We need to be turning from sin. Therefore, verse 21, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Lay aside. Repentance is what he's talking about there. Repentance is the starting point, at least from the human perspective of everything in the Christian life. Nothing happens until we lay aside or turn from or repent of 
our sin. Jesus made that clear, didn't he? In Luke chapter 13 and verse number 5, when he said, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Lay aside. Interesting choice of words that James uses here. Lay aside. It's kind of a word picture. It's a translation of an interesting Greek word which is translated in other places to put away or to put off. We see it in places like Ephesians 4.22 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which goes corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We see it in Hebrews 12.1 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race set before us. We see a wonderful picture of it in Acts chapter 7. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 7. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, gave his life, martyred for the cause of Christ. And lest they get their clothes stained with the blood of brother Stephen, those who were about ready to bash him to pieces with stones, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse number 58, laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Same word in all these places. Wonderful, wonderful picture. Repentance is the starting point for everything that has to do with Christianity. Nothing happens until we lay aside or turn from or repent of our sin. And so the question has to be this morning, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you laid it aside? Have you repented of your sin? Have you agreed with God about it? Have you laid it aside? Because there is no salvation for the sinner until that happens. But I don't think that's really what James' main message is here. I think he's talking about something else. I think he's saying also that there is no victory or peace for the believer until that happens. The fact is, his target audience is believers, right? We learned that in the very first lesson. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered abroad. The diaspora, the dispersion. And so he's talking to Christians who have already repented and are already saved. And I think what he's saying here is that that which was necessary as a first step is also a requirement for continued development in the lives of Christians. We need to be continually laying aside. And look what he says here. We need to be continually laying aside filthiness. That's an interesting word. It's a word that is only used one place in the New Testament right here. It's unique to James. And it basically means moral impurity. Such needs to be laid aside, laid aside because it blocks our access to God. It blocks the way to God. It stops our ears from hearing and responding to his word. One commentator said that, that this, this actual word other places is used. And I don't know how to verify this, but he said it is used of wax build up in the ear. My wife accuses me of that every once in a while when I choosing to not listen to her. But it's referring to wax built up in the ear, and it may refer to unholy living, which impairs a believer's hearing of God's word. He says, lay that aside. Lay aside that filthiness. He speaks also of the overflow or the excess or the abundance, depending on what translation of the Bible you're holding, of wickedness. In other words, he's saying, lay aside that which remains of wickedness. We don't stop with a one time. We don't stop with that one time when we repented of our sin and trusted Christ and were saved. We continue to root it out. We continue to get rid of it, whatever's left of it in our life, whatever remnants remain. One man said the word overflow does not mean that some wickedness is all right and the Christian should only be concerned about excess in wickedness. James' point is that we are to get rid of remaining sin. 
The thought then is that sin, though renounced by Christians, is not entirely vanquished in them. There may be some wickedness remaining, like a bad hangover from pre-conversion days, as one commentator puts it. So the first thing James teaches us here today is that we need to be repenting of sin. The second thing he teaches us is that we need to be receiving the word. Receiving the word. Again, verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What a great verse. Receive the word. That's what my Bible says the Berean Christians did in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and then searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. Receive the word. That's what Paul said the Thessalonian believers did in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Receive the word. It's the thing that all of us must do if we're ever going to be saved. It's a prerequisite. We must receive. John chapter 1 and verse number 12, as many as received him, to them gave you the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. It's a simple concept, really. Receiving, it basically means believing. But it goes beyond mere intellectual assent. It means that we welcome it. It means that we accept it. It means that we reorder our life to accommodate that truth which we have now accepted into our life. That's receiving. If someone knocks on your door and you open the door and engage in a conversation with them and they say, I'd like to come in, you can listen to them, you can hear what they say, and then you can make one of two choices. You can smile at them and close the door in their face and go on your way, or you can let them come in. That is receiving. That is receptivity. The former is not. James says you need to receive with meekness the implanted word. So how are we to receive this word? He says with meekness. With meekness. I like that word. So other places in the Bible translated as gentleness or humility. God speaks and we meekly and humbly and gently accept and receive what he has to say. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and I'll show you an example of this. An example that we would all do well to emulate. 1 Samuel chapter 3. While you're turning there, you'll probably remember that this, was, this is the story of the boy Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And the first time he heard the word of God speak to him. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, 
and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. One man said, When it is time to hear the word of God, every believer would do well to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Receive with meekness. Keith Getty sings a song. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you, to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth. Plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Did you catch the first part of that? Did you catch when he said, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word? We need to receive it. And we need to receive it with meekness. And when we receive the word with meekness, we accept it. We don't argue with it. We honor it as the word of God. We don't try to twist it to our own way of thinking. We just receive it. And one last thought before I get off this one. What is it exactly that we are to receive? Is it the word of of a man? Is it the word of a church or a denomination? Is it a doctrinal statement? Is it any of those things? No. What are, what are we supposed to receive? We're supposed to receive the implanted word. The implanted word. There's another interesting word, implanted. If you're holding the King James Bible, I think it says engrafted. But implanted is probably more correct. And interestingly, this is another word that is unique to James. It's only used one place in our Bible, right here. The implanted word. It literally means established in. And so in other words, the word needs to be established in us. It needs to be planted in our hearts. It needs to be deep in us. Deuteronomy 6, 6, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Psalm 119, verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not just in your mind, deeper. In your heart where it affects you and changes you and remakes you. And so I have to ask, don't I? Have you done that? You've heard the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, but have you received it? Have you received it? Not just as an interesting mental exercise, not just as, you know, like any other thought process, but as implanted truth. Have you let it in? Is it in your heart? Changing you? Remaking you? And if you have, then Christian, let me ask you. Are you daily and continuously, as often as you hear it, doing that? Because it's not a one-time thing. Continuously hearing. Continuously receiving. Continuously letting it in. It's interesting, we said that James is not a doctrinal book, but here in verse number 21, we see that James shares both of the prerequisites of salvation. It comes as a result of repentance, laying aside. It comes as a result of faith, receiving or welcoming it. And accepting it in your life. And I think he's making the point here that those two things are not just prerequisites for salvation in the first place. But they're prerequisites for those of us who are saved to have a victorious and satisfying Christian life. So be repenting. Be receiving. Number three, he says we should be doing. Be doing. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word 
and not hearers only deceiving yourself. I read a quote recently, and I did not write it down, so I don't remember who said it. I think it was attributed to Robert Murray McChain, a preacher from days gone by. But here's the way I remember the quote. He said, I always feared that some of you loved to hear the word who do not love to do it. James is talking about those kinds of people here. In building his case that faith works or that our faith needs to be an active or a working faith, he makes it very, very clear in this verse that it's not enough to just hear. Now, hearing is important. We just got done talking about that. It's important. We need to hear. We need to receive it. That's important. But he said it's not enough. We need to hear actively. Not just with a passing interest, but a permanent interest. Not just as something we want to know about, but something we want to know about so that we can put it into practice in our lives. Isn't it interesting he doesn't just say here to do the work? He didn't say that. Did you notice that little interesting nuance in what he said? He didn't say do the work. He said, be doers of the word. It's a completely different thing. Do the word would be a one-time thing. Be doers means we ought to be doing it all the time. It needs to be a process, a lifelong process that never ends. One commentator put it this way. He said, Christianity is a volitional decision to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, which issues in a Christ-like lifestyle. In other words, receiving the word is never the end of the story. It's just the beginning because it changes our lives. Another commentator said, it's not enough to hear the word, we must do it. Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon or Bible study is what makes them grow and get God's blessing. But it's not the hearing, but the doing that brings the blessing. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. You ought to write that one down. That's a good quote. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. If you think you're spiritual because you hear the word, then you're only kidding yourself. Or as James puts it here, deceiving yourself. Or as some translations say, deluding yourself. And so James tells his readers, you must not merely do the word. You must be doers, systematically, continually, as if it was your regular business. One man said that the rabbis, <clears throat> the true disciples say the rabbis, learns in order that he may do, not in order that he may merely know or teach. And if we read on here, we see that James uses an interesting illustration to point to, to draw all this together. He uses the illustration of a mirror. He says the word is like a mirror, and we look into it. Look at verses 23 through 25, and you see that. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Interesting illustration. And when we think about a mirror and we just kind of, you know, get a little, uh, I don't know, imaginative in our mind about what he's saying there, we, we, we come up with some things, don't we? There's some, some thoughts about what it's like to look in a mirror. Perhaps you're one of those people who looks in a mirror and just kind of glances in it and doesn't pay much attention to what you see. I think we men are probably more like that, don't you think? We might come whipping by and glance in a mirror and not even notice the fact that our hair is all askew or that we've got ketchup on our shirt. We won't notice that. That's something we men would do. Woman would never do that. A woman peers into the mirror. A woman gazes into the mirror. A woman is more like a scientist looking through a microscope, examining everything in the mirror. But yet I think James is saying here, perhaps giving us the illustration that sometimes as believers we just glance at the mirror 
we don't really get a good look. Warren Wiersbe says this is how some look into the Word of God. They merely glance at themselves. They don't carefully study themselves as they read the Word. Many sincere believers read a chapter of the Bible each day, but it's only a religious exercise and they fail to profit from it personally. Their conscience would bother them if they didn't have their daily reading, when actually their conscience should bother them because they read the Word carelessly. A cursory reading of the Bible will never reveal our deepest needs. It's the difference between a candid photo and an x-ray. Is that you? Does that describe how you respond to the Word? Just glance and don't really pay attention to what you see. Another thing I think James might be saying here is that some look into the mirror of the Word and then forget. He mentions this one. Some forget what they saw. If we really see what's in there, it's hard to imagine that we would forget it, but some do. Isaiah looked into that mirror one time, and what he saw made him cry out, Woe is me, for I am undone. Peter looked into that mirror one time, and it made him cry out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Job got a glimpse of God one time as he looked into that mirror and he confessed. He said, I have heard, heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, nobody gets saved until they first get lost. In other words, they come to the place where they see themselves as lost. Where do we see that as we look into the mirror of the word? And yet too many hear a sermon, shake it off and forget all about it. Many years ago, I sat in a man's living room and shared the gospel with him. I don't remember his name. I don't remember anything about him. I just remember this event. I don't remember how I met him. I was just in his, in his home sharing the gospel. And it was one of those amazing spiritual moments where you just knew God was working. And I shared with him, you know, the, the, the truth of Scripture. I shared with him how, uh, you know, all of us are sinners. I shared with him that the wages of sin is death. I shared with him that... God commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I shared with him that all you need to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I shared all these things. He answered a lot of questions. I answered them best I could. And I could, I could feel the Holy Spirit in that room so strong. Have you ever been in a situation like that where the Holy Spirit is working so strongly, so clearly, that it's so tense in the room you could cut the air with a knife? He was definitely under conviction of sin. And I pressed him. Why don't you trust Christ? Why don't you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? You can do it right now. I will pray with you. I pressed him to make a decision. And he wouldn't do it. We went back and forth and back and forth. And finally he said to me, you know, I, I don't, here's what I want to do. I'm not going to do that. He said, I'll come to church Sunday. I want to do it in church. He said, I'll come to church Sunday and I'll walk the aisle and I'll trust Christ. Tried a little bit longer, but I gave up finally. I left. And I left sad because I thought to myself, I'll never see him again. He didn't show up in church Sunday. And I never saw him again. And I do not know. I wonder, I wonder if he's one who looked into the mirror of the word and then looked away and forgot what he saw. Oh, wouldn't it be great to have a revival like happened in days past when people looked into the mirror of the word and cried out to God to be saved. People like Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, who cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. People like those who heard the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. Have you ever read what took place when Jonathan Edwards preached in New England? Sinners in the hands of an angry God is one of the most uh, convicting sermons that you will ever read. I encourage you to go read it. 
But I have read historical accounts of what happened when Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon and how people would cry out in terror because they knew that they were lost and they needed to be saved. It is said that there was people who would hang on to the poles of the building where he was at for fear that they were slipping into hell. They saw the truth when they looked into the word of God. I have a good friend. I went to a revival meeting with him one time years ago when we were teenagers. Some of you in this room would know him if I mentioned his name. He walked into that revival meeting. I was a believer at the time, but he was not. We walked into the meeting and listened to the meeting. And as the meeting drew to an end, the sermon drew to an end, the invitation was given. My friend leaped up out of his chair and went running down to the front and trusted Christ as his Savior. And you know this morning, probably at this very moment, he's preaching the gospel right now. Because he looked into the word of God and saw it. I wonder, what about you? Have you heard the word? Have you looked into it and seen its truth? Then don't let it be forgotten. Don't walk away and forget what you saw therein. Don't forget it. One last thing, he said, some look into the mirror of God's word, see clearly, but do nothing about what they see. They see it, but they don't do anything about it. Warren Wiersbe again says, they think that hearing is the same as doing, and it's not. We Christians enjoy substituting reading for doing, or even talking for doing. We hold endless committee meetings and conferences about topics like evangelism and church growth and think we've made progress. And while there's certainly nothing wrong with conferences and committee meetings, they are sinful if they are a substitute for service. We are to be doers of the things that we hear. We're to continue in them. And if we're going to be doers of the word, then it's not going to be limited to a one-time response. It'll be ongoing. It'll be forever, over and over, continuous. So do any of these things describe you? Are you one who merely glances and is unchanged by the word? Or maybe you're one who does see it but forgets what you saw. As the invitation goes forth time and time and time again, Maybe you know God's talking to you about something in your life, but you just hold on to the back of the chair and then forget about it and walk away. Or are you one who sees and just simply does nothing about it? We need to hear the warning from James this morning. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Active hearing. That's what saves. Hearing that receives, that doesn't forget, that acts on what it heard. That's what saves. And it's also, it's also what helps us as believers to be where we ought to be with God. So I ask you this morning as we go to our invitation, if you see yourself in there, if you're one of those ones who has heard but not acted, why don't you do something about that today? Why don't you trust Christ today? You know, we're going to sing a song in just a moment, and you know what's going to happen? If the Holy Spirit has got a hold of you right now, and if the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, that's something I need to do, you know what's going to happen? Every evil force in the universe is going to descend upon you in just a second and convince you that you ought not to walk that aisle and convince you that you ought not to do a thing about it and convince you that it will be just fine if you just walk away, if you can just get through the invitation and walk on out of here. But that's not the case. You are deceiving yourself, deluding yourself. You need to act upon it today. You need to be a doer today. And Christian, there may be believers here 
Maybe the same thing is true in your life. Maybe God's been dealing with you about something. Who knows what it is? Maybe God's been dealing with you about something and every invitation comes and goes and he's talking to you about it and you ignore it. You don't do anything about it. You are deceiving yourself. You need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. 